also I've watched Halloween 1, Halloween 2, and then I've also watched Halloween 1 and Halloween 2. The zombie ones? The zombie ones. Yeah. I actually liked those. Do you like them? How do I? They mention Rob Zombie got accolades for his movies for incorporating children harming animals when they're young as an early sign of being a psychopath. Yeah, and it and, is. Yeah. <laughs> um, it seems so. What I've determined after watching his, I think I've seen the majority of his movies now, is another warning sign that you could be a psychopath is enjoying Rob Zombie movies. <laughs> Rob Zombie movies have always, um, well, they you know, they came out, he started making films right at the time I was wanting to be a, a movie maker. So his way of editing and his love of uh, schlocky B-movie uh, grindhouse type stuff really spoke to me. So like what he's trying to say has never affected me. But the way he makes the movies has always been interesting to me. So I guess I've never let it get to me too much. Yeah, Rob Zombie is another highly stylized visual filmmakers along the lines of all those people you know, Snyder, Anderson. You see a movie and you know it's a Rob Zombie movie. And I love that. Like... I love somebody that has a strong visual style. But like, Rob Zombie... Alright, without knowing anything about his past, Rob Zombie was the child of an alcoholic trucker and a stripper junkie mom. And and, and she got fired from stripping, mind you. But she had no other choice but to take the whole family on the road with the circus. And... The atrocities that he saw during those early formative years really had an impact on him. And he uses uh, art to express the feelings of confusion and anger that he has inside of him. I'm sure he would love that to be his backstory. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't think it's anything like that. I think for him, it's simply he was a huge monster movie fan growing up, and it was everything to him. Halloween was a huge movie in his life, too, and I think when he got the chance to make that movie, he jumped at it. But at the same time, all of his movies are just built on the movies he loved as a kid. That's what I think. I mean, of course, he's a musician, and he came from White Zombie, and then he had his own successful career as a solo artist. And it's always, I don't know, it's just, I mean, the music, I think, was his love of monster movies, too. And it just made a lot of sense that he started making his own movies. He is next scheduled to make The Munsters, yeah. if it ever comes to pass. And I just am so scared because I feel like they're going to be actual Munsters. <laughs> and it's not going to be funny at all. It's definitely not a Dark Knight version of The Munsters. From what I've seen, the, the set photos and everything I've seen is it looks like it's still a comedy. Herman Munster and and all those characters are, are pretty standard the way we know them from the TV show. And also, he's spoke he's spoken for years about how The Munsters was his favorite show. And I think that is just what informed him as a child. And that's why we have Rob Zombie, the movie director, today because of that show. Fun fact about Rob Zombie, he's very against the killing of animals, and he rescues animals on his ranch in Connecticut, and he doesn't eat any kind of animals. So on that note, welcome everyone to Aaron and Justin Talk Sequels, the hit movies podcast brought to you by me, Justin, and that guy. Believe it or not, we found some more sequels to talk about. We had to go digging because there's not a lot of them out there. We've kind of talked about them all. It's incredible. They're actually just making more sequels just so we have something to talk yeah. about, that was nice about on it. this podcast. Yeah. 
And we're we're starting a pretty big journey. I don't know how many episodes this will end up being. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Four or five, probably. Because we're looking at eight movies, I believe. I would say for the first initial franchise. And then we can continue on if you, if you want. Yeah. So we're talking the Halloween franchise movies. If you're just 50% on horror, uh, these are the ones starring Mike Myers, the guy in the <laughs> white... Uh, What's his name? Captain that makes it sound like it's starring mask. Mike Myers from SNL fame. I would say it stars numerous people, but most likely Jamie Lee Curtis for the start. No, I meant more like which one is Freddy, which one is Jason. Yes, exactly. But I said, would you say it stars Freddy? I wouldn't say it stars Freddy, or wouldn't I? Would say it features Michael Myers. Nobody calls him Mike. Featuring Michael Myers. Yeah. This yes. is his franchise. The serial killer, supernatural, Michael Myers, the creepy white face. This is his franchise. And today, we're starting simple. We're covering Halloween 2, uh, which takes place minutes after Halloween Part 1. Uh, well, I wanted to do this because I got a book on John Carpenter, and I've been watching his films in order just with the chapters I've been reading. So it's been interesting. So his first movie that he made as a student at the University of Southern California was Dark Star. I don't know if you've heard Dark of that. Dark Star. Yeah. yeah. And we've covered the Alien franchise already on this podcast. And Alien was written by a guy named Dan O'Bannon. And he was actually a peer of John Carpenter because they went to school at the same time. And they made Dark Star together. Dan O'Bannon is actually one of the stars of Dark Star. Um, he plays a fun little role in there. But it's fun. It's it's cool. It's um real cheap. But it's a fun movie, and it definitely showed that Carpenter had some skill as a director. And then from there, he went on to make Assault on Precinct 13, which is a nice action movie and uh, really well done, even on a low budget. I haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it yet? Yeah. I saw it for the first time a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I am too. And I've loved Carpenter for a long time, and and I never saw his first early films before Halloween. So, But Assault on Precinct 13 is really good. Uh, I was impressed with that one. And then he made a TV movie originally called High Rise, that he wrote, but they changed the name to Someone's Watching Me. And it was about a woman being stalked in her high-rise apartment, but also really well done, really well acted, and it was like a movie of the week kind of thing. And then from there, he went on to Halloween, so Halloween was the next movie I had to watch. I was like, hey, let's do the Halloween franchise. And a very solid franchise, but John Carpenter... I don't know the right way to talk about him. Yeah, he's made a lot of different kind of films, but they all kind of feel of the same genre in one way or another. Even his action movies feel dark and gritty the way his horror movies do. So I don't I don't know either. You know, he's he's a little all over the place. For whatever reason, all of his movies have they're, they're so down to earth. Like crazy stuff is happening to them, but it's always real people that it's happening to. If that makes sense, a little bit. Yeah, Kurt Russell, their first movie together, Elvis. That doesn't count. That counts. You know it. That's the one I'm watching next after Halloween. Uh, I have to somehow find it, though. It's not available at stream anywhere. I can buy it on Blu-ray. It was a big film that he made right after Halloween. He wanted to make a movie about Elvis, because Elvis had just died like the year before. And Kurt Russell was just coming out of his Disney phase. And I think he wanted to sink his teeth into an actual role to show he was a real actor. And yeah, they they teamed up to make Elvis. Uh, But after that, he made The Fog and then Escape from uh, New York. Which is probably what I'm, I'm talking about. No, I was. I thought this was much earlier for some reason. Oh, the reason. thing was after Escape from New York. Nope, not that either. Oh my God. Big Trouble in Little China? Jesus. Big Trouble in Little yeah. China. They were good friends and, and well on their way to being 
film you know buddies after uh, uh when they did big trouble in little china so that's later yeah i mean all the people that kurt russell is in these roles just a trucker who's in the wrong place at the wrong time that one feels more like his arnold schwarzenegger role an action hero i'd say the thing is definitely him as an ordinary dude even snake Plissken is kind of an ordinary dude it's just that he's living in a post-apocalyptic world so it kind of makes him into a little bit of a superhero but ironically just ironically though <laughs> okay wait that's off topic again so anyway so halloween yeah. 1978 slasher movie. Now, slasher movies existed before this. Of course they did. Yes. But was this that moment where everything changed? Like, this is one of those movies that changed the horror genre for, I would argue, the 80s. Would we have Freddy and Jason without Halloween? Halloween was such an event movie. It had a, uh, well, basically a supernatural killer, but it had a killer with no reason to kill, uh, and it took place on Halloween, and it was called Halloween. And I think those two things together is what made everybody go see it, so it made a ton of money, and then everybody else was like, well, I gotta get my own franchise, and that's what led into Friday the 13th, um, which I think is definitely a ripoff. Uh, in more ways than one of Halloween. Oh, yeah. In my opinion, Nightmare on Elm Street did it the best. I think that's the best horror franchise because I think Freddy is the best of these guys. Jason is never a contender for me. Like, he's I don't think He's never those... a contender. He's too much of a ripoff of Michael Myers. Friday the 13th and Freddy are both pretty self-aware of what makes them them and they're a little winky sometimes where were we uh okay so psycho i would say is the first slasher movie but it's a hitchcock film and it's done it's it's well beyond slasher but it's such a nicely made movie but i would say that's the first slasher but i mean really the one they give halloween too much credit i think as the first slasher movie because i would say psycho but then more than that, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because there were definitely movies like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that were made around that time, but they weren't mainstream films, so not a lot of people knew about them. But there were definitely some trashy B-movie grindhouse slasher films. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre became a big deal. Uh, so I say that's the first slasher movie that really grabbed the uh, zeitgeist, the consciousness of America. But then Halloween is what made it in an event. And that's why everybody wanted to grab a piece of that sweet, sweet Halloween money. I wanted to know how much money Texas Chainsaw Massacre made just to see how much you're right. Like, we're judged by the money. And you know what? You're right. That had a budget of about 140000 and it made about $30 million. Carpenter himself said that that inspired Halloween. He's pretty forthcoming about that. And Toby Hooper, just like Carpenter, came back for the sequel. Now, Carpenter didn't direct Halloween 2, but... Yeah. I believe Toby Hooper did. And so I like that. How quickly can we go through this plot without making it a joke? You're pretty good at this. You can blow through it. Michael Myers is a crazy person. When he was just a little boy on Halloween, for no reason, he decided to kill his sister. Now, they say there is a reason in that he saw her having sex. Seeing his sister perform that act or or be intimate in some sort of way is what set him off. It's a incestuous kind of thing if it's not in the movie i don't agree with it it's possible he ends up in a mental institution for his whole life 15 and years. 15 years 
until one day he escapes. Now, why does he escape? Because I know that Dr. Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance, and his nurse are heading to that insane asylum to take him to, like, another parole thing. But Loomis is very clear that this kid is evil. I've been with him for 15 years now. There's nothing good in this guy. He must stay in there. So let's just do this thing. It's a by-the-book thing. we got to take him to the parole meeting, but we're just going to say, hey, keep him in, and we'll bring him back here. But when they show up to the insane asylum, everybody's loose. Do they explain how that happened? I don't believe they ever do. Yeah. There are so many moments in this movie where you see seeds of so many future movies. Like, this movie's been borrowed from so many times, and I love it. But just that shot of the patients wandering around in the woods. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I thought the same thing when they drive up. That's the first bit. Well, I'm sorry, it's the second. Obviously, the, the opening of the film is very famous for its point of view shot, where we are young Michael Myers walking around the house. Very cool. It's very well done. But also that one is like the, the, the Dr. Loomis's point of view. So all you see is the car lights lighting a bunch of zombies is what they look like. And it's very catching. Yeah, I really like that too. But they don't seem as dangerous. But Michael is the one who is able to commander their vehicle and takes off to Haddonfield, where he's from. And the suggestion is, is that somebody at the insane asylum taught him how to drive. I love that we have this big gap that we have to fill in for ourselves and they don't force feed it like so many modern movies would yeah and carpenter has gone on record to say that that's what he wanted to bring to halloween is that he didn't want to explain hardly anything he just felt it was more it was scarier that the audience could make up their own mind now I think that's kind of a cop-out for a lot of um, weak story writing in this movie. But it doesn't ruin the movie for me, but it definitely is just like, come on. There's the common trope in horror movies where if the character just used common sense, the movie would be over pretty quickly. Characters who act unusually out of character and and do things just to drive the plot along. Yes. Um, And it's like it's in every movie, but it's rampant in horror movies. And it's famous for people yelling at the movie screen and i have an unpopular opinion i'm sure where a lot of people say that everybody stole from halloween and made those tropes that we would then see in future movies but i submit that halloween was already full (laughs) of unfortunate tropes right from the beginning yes and we'll get into more of 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 my unpopular opinion with this film but let's continue for now (laughs) and you are absolutely right uh I want to say that everything, though, borrows from what came before. It's just the level of borrowing and so on and so forth. I want to take a quick segue here to talk about the Rob Zombie movies. So Zombie, he does a couple of interesting things where I feel like he looked at the original movies, identified things that he didn't didn't quite fit with him, and addressed them. Um, The biggest one was the character played by Donald Pleasance, Sam Loomis, and his relationship with Michael. Why does this guy give such a shit? You know, there's no reason to think this guy would go out of his way to put himself, or he would put himself in harm's way just to stop one crazy guy when the cops could do it. And he treats his Sam Loomis, his first Halloween movie, spends, I think, the first hour with Michael as a kid, pre- Michael. Malcolm McDowell, who played Loomis in in Zombies films, he definitely is given way more to do. We follow Michael along up until the point where he escapes. Of course, Zombie makes the entire thing about mental health and how he's not well. He does and doesn't make him sympathetic. Like, the only reason he escapes at all is because 
two guards are raping another patient. If those guards weren't terrible people, then you know, it's just a whole thing. Anyway, so... Your point is that Zombie wanted to answer things that bothered him from the first movie. I kind of appreciate that because there's a lot that bothered me from the first movie that I was like, all right, somebody wants to answer that. That's great. Thanks. He fleshes out Loomis's character is all I'm saying, and he gives him a reason to care. But he also had, like, he has this wealth of Halloween movies to draw from and to feel like, I really want to explain Loomis now. I want to explain Michael Myers now. Whereas in this movie, when Carpenter and Deborah Hill, his producer and co-writer, were making this film, they were just trying to come up with everything in this movie, and we're like, we don't really want to explain everything. We just want to make it scary. So I kind of see where both of them are coming from. I completely understand. But so the new movie is Rob Zombie is a dark, dark individual. And they're completely different films with the same idea, if that makes sense. They're completely different Michael Myers. Yeah, which really, I mean, if you're going to remake something, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I like it. It's completely his own interpretation. Anyway, right. Mike Myers escapes. He goes back to his hometown and he starts killing some people. He gets a, like a tow truck driver kills that person and that's how he gets the jumps overalls coveralls whatever you want to call them and then he apparently we i think we find out later that he broke into a hardware store so that's where he gets i don't know he gets some stuff there they said but he also gets a, i don't know why a hardware store would sell a creepy mask it's halloween i guess they're saying that was for sale because we do find out in the sequel that another kid had it as well creepy mask for sale and yeah i'm guessing the hardware store being a mom and pop shop had one of those little pop-up halloween sections and for our viewing or our listening audience if you don't know a nice fun little tidbit about the mask is that it's actually a william shatner captain kirk mask they you know they had a small budget for halloween so their prop guy bought it for like two bucks at a halloween store in hollywood in hollywood and uh, painted it white, cut out the eyes, made him a little bigger, messed with the hair a little bit. That's why we have uh, Michael Myers uh, and not Captain Kirk as the horrible serial killer. Yeah, and I love that. That was like 10 years after Star Trek. Yeah, and it would have been before the motion picture as well. So it was just for anybody who happened to love Star Trek still, and even though the show wasn't even on. Real quick, we're, Mike Myers gets into town. He's stalking people. You keep um, calling him Mike Myers. I think that's weird. His name is Michael. Mikey, Mr. Myers, <laughs> gets into town, and he starts killing, stalking people. He hasn't killed many people yet. But the great thing about him being around there is that he has that car, so we just see him driving around. And Carpenter is great as a director in that we he does something. This is a good trope, but he would just have him appear places. And he would really use the size of his frame to just have him be places. Like, especially when Loomis is finally in town with the sheriff and he like drives behind him and Loomis is so in his own world, he doesn't even notice. That's what I love about Carpenter's direction in the film. Very specific framing in this movie. And uh, Carpenter went out of his way to always keep Mikey on the peripheral just to startle people. And Yeah, and it builds uh, tension. So it's effective. Yeah, and when Rosenthal takes over for Halloween 2, he definitely changes that up, but it's kind of an amalgamation because he tried to copy as much as he could. And he had the same cinematographer, Dean Cundy. The entire crew was exactly the same. I'm sure there was a couple small differences, but the majority of the people all came back. And Cundy would go on to famously shoot the Back to the Future trilogy, among other many other movies. Yeah, and Deborah Hill is one of the most prolific producers of the 80s it's it's incredible like the people that worked on this movie worked on everything so yeah michael myers kills a bunch of people and he scares a bunch of people some people live some people die the main character 
is a young woman named Lori Strode, played by young Jamie Lee Curtis. Was this introducing Jamie Lee Curtis? I think she was, was on TV before this. So yeah, this was her first main film. And uh, I think Carpenter said that he didn't really know anything about her before, you know, casting sent her his way. But when he realized that, one, he liked her performance and her audition and that she, he felt she could do it. But she was also uh, Janet Lee's daughter who starred in Psycho. So I, they were both thinking like, well, there's a PR stunt. There's a promotional tactic to say that uh, she's her daughter so that's pretty cool she's babysitting because she's a teenage girl and her friend the sheriff's daughter is it annie Annie. uh, is also babying babysitting across the street that night and so annie wants Lori to watch her kid so she can have her boyfriend come over and they can have inappropriate teenage relations so this is a, a babysitter trope I wouldn't say this was done poorly in this movie. I think this is this is fun. Lori's the conservative one. She's not really, I think she's a virgin. She's not really hot for dudes as Annie, her friend, is with her boyfriend, Paul, who I don't think we ever see, I don't think. Maybe he's on the telephone or something. But Because she, she's on her way to go get him, and that's where things go wrong with her. And then her friend, Linda, is like the more promiscuous. She has a boyfriend named Bob uh, when we actually see them together. Annie has a young girl she's babysitting, brings over to Lori's house where she's babysitting a boy to watch both kids so Annie can go pick up Paul. Ridiculous thing where she like gets her clothes dirty somehow so she has to like go yep. to the laundry. <laughs> the thing like uh like you, you know this movie was shot in California not Illinois because no one in Illinois would have a separate building that would have laundry in it, right? Nobody's going to walk over <laughs> four yeah. feet of snow during the winter to go do your laundry but that's where she has weird things that happen and then when she gets in her car which i this is one of my favorite things about the movie is when she gets in the car and there's fog all over and she comes to that realization that like why is my car all foggy and then because he was in there waiting for her the whole time uh and then then michael well, myers kills her and it it doesn't really matter and the reason the reason why is that any viewer who's seen a horror movie from the last 20 years can guess what is going to happen in this movie blindfolded and with the sound off. It's one of those movie that, movies that wrote the modern formula. You have a group of friends. You have a killer. The killer slowly picks off all of the friends except for the obvious main character. Will the main character survive? I don't know. Oh my, the main character is safe. The bad guy is dead. Or is he? The end. Because you're wondering, why is he doing this? That's what I was thinking. Why is he doing this? And the only thing they really give you is that he killed his sister as a boy on Halloween. So he just happened to escape on Halloween 15 years later. I guess I'll go back and just kill some more because it's Halloween and this yeah. is not what I do. And I'm an evil person. I'm just evil. Because this is what Loomis has told everybody. There's nothing behind those eyes. And that's really the only point for Loomis is to be that story driver to say, this guy's crazy. We got to stop him. Oh, my. You get invested. You feel the tension while this plays out. And it's just, I think, the masterful filmmaking of a young. Oh, oh, what does that mean? I guess so. (laughs) Well, to further expand on my unpopular opinion, I probably first saw Halloween. I don't know. 20 years ago and thought that's it this is what everybody always talks about all right and then maybe 10 years later when i kind of got into john carpenter more i was like well i gotta go revisit halloween 
I'm sure there's more to it. And I saw it then and I was like, that's it. Okay. <laughs> and now for this podcast where I was like, I'm watching his movies in a row and I'm reading a book on him, very detailed book on him. And we're doing this for the podcast. I'm like, all right, now I'm finally going to understand what the fuck people are talking about with Halloween. I watch it again and I go, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, un- I, get, I understand why people hold this movie and, and why the Library of Congress, you know, has called it significant and added it to their registry of film. Like, I get it, but I am bored when I watch it. And I am angry with the tropes that not only did it create that they stole and then made into horrible tropes, you know, made into bad tropes in later movies. But it's full of bad tropes from the beginning. Why doesn't Loomis want the police involved? There's no reason for him to say, no, no, no just you and me sheriff we can't there's no reason for him to say that there's no reason for jamie lee curtis to not check and make sure he's dead there's no reason for her to drop the knife oh that bothers me feel like he's dead there's no reason for her to sit there and not turn around it's just like it's maddening to me that all of these things take place in this movie and now being a john carpenter uh, more knowledgeable about john carpenter would you watch assault on precinct 13 which was made for like 100 grand it is, and then his TV movie, Someone's Watching Me, he made a huge leap as a filmmaker from his student film. And then he had $300,000 to make Halloween, and it is a step back in his quality. I don't hate the movie. I think it's perfectly fine. And, of course, I would be so happy to have made this movie myself. Like it would, It's not like it's a bad movie by any means, but I do feel like it's a step back in his quality of work. And the reason it is held in such high regard is that it's called Halloween. It was an event film, and he created this killer with no purpose that went on to spawn other movies. Yes, but you're not giving it the credit that that what you just said deserves man this basically was the beginning of modern horror i guess but wouldn't <laughs> but wouldn't but wouldn't um texas chainsaw massacre for wouldn't that take that in the throne? four years in between what other major cultural horror touchstones do we have off the top of your head i mean around the same time there was the exorcist yeah oh no there's no denying movie. that scary was good but the slasher which is yes. the de facto horror movie of nowadays my argument is is that we wouldn't have any of it without this movie it's a huge cultural touchstone sure but people were raining down praise on it like around the time it came out before all those movies existed and i guess i didn't see what they see i've been trying i really have been trying but i just don't see it before this were there any mainstream horror movies that attacked the suburbs I think the word mainstream is what stands out. I'm sure there were, but yes. there weren't any that, that, that was mainstream. And the only reason this was mainstream is because it was called Halloween. I'm telling you, that's it. And maybe because they got Donald Pleasance, who was kind of a known actor. But I think those are the only two reasons that people gave this the time of day. Otherwise, it just would have been on the grindhouse circuit with everything else. This is just where I'm at. I like yeah. the movie. It's not a bad movie. Oh, it's good. Halloween's probably his most famous movie thing is definitely his best movie i think but my favorite movie of john carpenter's can you guess what that is it better be they live no it's not oh they live is my favorite <laughs> is I, it? yeah that's a good one. Oh, i love that movie uh, i like christine 
about the, oh, the Stephen King movie. I just love that. That shouldn't movie. have been a, it's my that favorite. Sh- yeah, it should have been obvious. My favorite pastime watching movies nowadays is predicting when people are going to die. And I nailed it the other day and I was just looking at my list of movies to figure out which one it was. But it was one where I was like, that person is going to die soon. And they literally died five seconds later. What movie was this? God, I... I don't know if it was one of the Halloweens, because if we're looking at my movies, I watched Halloween, Halloween 2, The King's Man, Halloween 2, The Mask, Halloween, Draft Day, Long Shot, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. It could have been Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Oh, you watched Draft Day, huh? Little Ivan Reitman. I mean, I love Draft Day. <laughs> have you watched You've it? You've talked about it. I have never seen it. We were on holiday at that Christmas town. Frankenmuth. Yeah. I pissed off the entire family by becoming transfixed by draft day on the hotel TV. I had never seen it before. I don't want to do anything. I need to stay here and watch draft day. I know it was a serious, I know you guys want to go swimming. Just let me finish this movie. Okay. And that's amazing. And so I had to buy it when it was finally on sale for five bucks. I bought it and I think I've watched it twice since I bought it. It's, engaging kevin costner in sports movies oh they're so good kevin costner in pretty much everything he's done Ever. he doesn't get the the right kind of credit i don't know why but he's done so many great films so michael shows up he's picking off all of laurie's friends and then he tries to oh, kill i thought we were done with this laurie and <laughs> then uh loomis shows up and he shoots him like three or four times six six times and he falls through a window. He empties the revolver into Michael Myers, yeah. who was just a person, apparently, at this point, until he got shot six times. So my question to you is, mm-hmm. did they t- say in the movie where Loomis gets the gun? Was it no. Loomis's gun? Was this the I 70s? think it's Loomis's gun. He had it. And the sheriff didn't care that he had it either. He's like, oh, you got a gun? Cool. Good for you. I got one, too. Yeah. Like, did he stop at a gas station and pick one up? No, I think Loomis just has one. That's what it took to be a psychiatrist at a mental institution back in the 70s. You carried, you carried, you packed heat. So anyway, movie's over. Yeah, well, see, here's the thing. And this is just, I think this is just a Carpenter-esque move in that he wanted him to get shot. So Loomis is the hero. He's the one that kills Michael Myers. But just to end the movie, why don't we end it a little creepy and just have when Loomis goes to see Michael's body on the ground, it's gone. It's gone. Great ending. I, I'm, I'm all about that. Doesn't make any goddamn sense <laughs> that you get shot six times. Makes zero and still sense. Still be alive. Yeah. But it makes for a fun ending and a one off film. That's it. Halloween That's it. is done. Yes. It's a great film from the 70s. That's how I would feel about it. Maybe if there were no sequels, I would have a better view of it. But maybe the sequels are actually what color my kind of boredom with it. I wouldn't say dislike, but kind of my boredom with it. So it's a big hit. Cost about three hundred grand, made between sixty and seventy million. Huge, huge. Hit. He had a bigger budget for this movie than Assault in Precinct Thirteen, which I think is a more confident film. I don't know. I don't know what the deal was. Yeah, like he intentionally wanted him to kind of shoot a gorilla style. I think him and Dean Cundey went at it that way because they wanted it to look more like from Michael's point of view more. So I think that's fine, but it just looks a little less polished to me that way, and not in a good way. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to respond to that. I just wanted to get that out one more time before we move on to Halloween 2. The thing that I wanted to touch on is in the 70s, the sequel really came to be because of science science fiction and horror. Did that really happen because a lot of science fiction and horror couldn't get the attention of 
the major studios. And so we saw a lot of smaller studios finance these to make a quick buck. When one hits the way that Halloween does, these guys who are more interested in money than putting out like a movie are quick to be like, oh, we need to do that again. Anyway, so I feel like this was a great movie that should have been won, but it couldn't have been because of the production style that existed back then. I think that horror and science fiction don't follow any rules of the real world so you can easily continue the story whereas many films of a quality written screenplay that takes place in a world that has rules those movies end and the only reason you would make a sequel is if you wanted to see where that real world continued and those characters continued. But for most movies they were making in the 70s, you didn't really need that. But when it comes to horror and, and sci-fi, you can easily make a number, a, a number two and say, Supernatural, he's still alive. And nobody would question it. So for John Carpenter to say that he didn't expect a sequel, I think is bullshit. But I understand where he didn't want to be so involved because he was just he was on a great trajectory in his career and it's like i don't want to just become a halloween director i want to i want to do something else but i love that him and deborah hill came back and were like it's still our baby so we're gonna write the sequel and we're gonna continue the story sequel was made carpenter said i've already done a halloween movie i don't want to make another one of those and in terms of being a creative director i can see that i got i got someplace i'm going i got different stories to tell but I'll help you out. You help me out. I'll help you out. We'll write you a sequel. So yeah, him and Deborah Hill write a screen play. No. Yeah, they wrote a screenplay. They produced another Halloween. He had no interest in directing. He eventually got this Rosenthal guy to jump on and direct. And this was his first major movie, right? Rick Rosenthal. Yeah, I think this is the first directed film. The other thing is that with a sequel, because of the success of the first one, I think there's a lot more producer involvement. Uh, like a, like uh, the money people, like Yablins, I think is the guy's name, whoever produced it, even Laurentis. I think they want a say in this. So Carpenter and Hill are trying to give them what they want and do something for themselves. So I think that's where the sister thing comes in is because the producers want more of a reason for why he would do this. or And, and I because I think like Hill and Carpenter were like, they wanted to do a sequel, but okay, we'll, let, we'll make it years later. And, and But they're like, no, 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 no. We, we needed to take place right after the first one. I'm sure that was the producers saying that. So they're like, okay, fine. I love what they did with this sequel. And I don't know if a lot of movies do that. Uh, this guy, the director of Halloween 2, came back and did Halloween Resurrection. Yeah, that's a nice little tidbit of info for the Halloween franchise as well, which I was unaware of, unaware of before I looked that up. Yeah, I had no clue. So Halloween 2 is great. Did you like this movie? I don't know. I mean, it was hard to, like, was it better than the first one? I'm like, I don't know. It kind of, at least, like, for as slow as the first one is and not answering things, it didn't, like, hamper it and make it not make any sense. Whereas this one kind of didn't make a lot, like, it, it stood out more that it didn't make any sense to me. I, I don't know if I'm, if what I'm trying to say is, like... It was more apparent that people were doing stupid things. Whereas the first one, if people did stupid things, it wasn't like, it didn't like kick you in the face. It was just them being themselves, I guess, a little more, even though it was kind of stupid for some people. But this one was like, it was right out in the open. Let's run through the plot real quick. So Halloween 2 picks up just a few minutes after the end of Halloween. They rush Lori to the hospital and Michael Myers, who is still alive, 
follows her to the hospital. Well, it pick, you said it picks up minutes after. Yep. But we're still in his POV, which I think is cool. So we're seeing Michael Myers go through the city and avoid the sheriff and Loomis. I think that's fun. And then he goes into this house where this old people are, and they're watching the news program about somebody saying, like, all these murders just happened. And then he grabs the woman's knife. It's a great use of tension because you think he's probably going to kill that, that old lady and her sleeping husband or something, but he just leaves. So it started off well for me. Lori gets taken to, Lori in her new wig, gets taken to the hospital. Because this is a couple years after she was wearing a short hairstyle, which, uh, you know, was probably known as the Jamie Lee Curtis hairstyle. I think she already had it at this point. So she had to, like, wig up to look like herself minutes after the first movie. Um, but it kind of stood out to me. But that's fine. It did not. I you didn't notice? Didn't notice it. <laughs> pretty made up for just having survived this halloween night that 4k transfer um, is a real beast <laughs> maybe that's it but the thing i love about the sequel is that it's it's still the same night like how crazy is that like it's still halloween still makes sense yes i was a huge fan of what they did here but where it first gets weird is that like at least in halloween he he kills these girls that he had seen together and they were all related in some way like like they were friends, whatever. So there's a reason he killed everybody because everybody was connected. Whereas this one, he goes into some girl's house and kills her and it just felt off. So that, that was the first moment where I was like, uh, okay, weird. Quick sidebar. Has there ever been a killer that drove around? Have we ever had a killer that yeah, probably not. stalked people in a car? Cause, and I'm really curious to see if he drives anymore, like, or if he's just going to start appearing in any of these future movies. I'm excited for number four to see if Michael Myers gets in a car. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Like, well, you know why? Because he's not a supernatural creature. He is a person. He's a guy with mental issues. That's who he is. And he only becomes supernatural because Loomis says he's evil, and then he gets shot six times and somehow survives. Now he's a supernatural creature. Yeah. But he doesn't kill the old lady and her husband, and I think that was a good move because he's literally, he just wants to find Lori. He doesn't know where he is, where she is. He's got to finish it. But then he goes and kills the, the teen girl in her house, and that's like the moment where I was just like, mm, bad move. It was weird. It just turned him into an ordinary killer. I'm curious to know the logic behind that scene, and I like the thought that it's as simple as, well... Maybe other young girls know where other young girls are. So I'll go see this girl. I think if anything, this is the this is like Rosenthal, the director saying, I'm making a slasher movie. <laughs> like, this is the moment. Here's my villain. He's has no purpose for what he does, and he's just gonna kill people. This takes all the tropes that apparently Halloween created and puts them all in this movie. Does he kill anybody else? Before he's on the street and he overhears a kid with a boombox. Because what I do like, the, the the film has this feeling like all the town is finding out about this. So everybody, it's on everybody's mind. But it's still Halloween, so everything is very fresh. So it made sense to me that not a lot of people know. And, and especially the sheriff doesn't know that his daughter was killed. Because Annie is the daughter of the sheriff, by the way, from the first movie. That he didn't, So he doesn't know she's even dead. He's still driving around with Loomis trying to find this guy. Uh, but he hears the kid's boombox say that Lori was taken to the hospital. That's why he goes to the hospital. The sheriff finds out that his daughter is dead right away. Not really. Like, he... he it's after... Here's what we yes, the thing. I, th I know exactly what you're going to talk about. <laughs> there are two times in this movie. I haven't done this in a movie in quite a long time. But, I mean, my family's gone this weekend, so I was, you know, I can be loud anyways. But I'm watching Halloween 2. Loomis thinks he sees Michael Myers on the street, right? Yep. Because he's wearing the mask. It's a kid. It's clearly a kid, though, because he's shorter. Yeah. Uh, Loomis just wants to shoot him, but the sheriff is like, no, 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 stop, stop. 
But then another police officer is driving, slams into the kid, and then him and the kid go slam into a vehicle and it explodes into a fireball and burns this kid alive. They murder a kid. Yes. Yes. And And I I, I go, holy shit. (laughs) Like I just yelled it out. Because I was not expecting that at all. It was amazing. Oh, god damn. Because it was so off over the top. Just that it exploded into a fireball like it did. And I was just like, Loomis, holy shit. You just murdered a child. And, and you know what's best about this movie? No one's ever held a cop. Ever. <laughs> and the cop, the cop who was driving his explanation was that he just lost control. Yes. <laughs> Some mom and dad are somewhere in Haddonfield, in this made-up town in Illinois, going, where's Billy? He is really or late. Ben. Where's Ben? He's really late. Oh, he's a he's a burned corpse sitting in the morgue right now. I mean, By the way, somebody will let you Eventually, know. they do use dental <laughs> records to figure out that yes. it is not Michael Myers. Yeah. And at that point, Holy they just dump though. the body and they go about their business. Yeah, so that was my favorite part of the movie. But it's after that when the sheriff finds out that Annie's killed, and then he's just like, damn you, Loomis, damn you to hell. And then he's out of the movie, which is weird. I don't know. It's like they didn't know how to handle his grief over his daughter, so they were just like, "Uh, let's just keep him out of the movie. Rob Zombie didn't know how to handle it either, and so it makes... But he did a better job, didn't he? It was was, uh, Brad Dourif, wasn't it? it... Because in the sequel, he's all like distraught, and and we see him reacting to his daughter being dead. That's what, I, that's what I feel like we never got in Halloween 2. We should have had that scene where he's just like... Well, okay, I take that back. He did see her dead and he closes her eyes. So maybe we had some sort of closure with the show. I like it better off screen. Yeah. Okay. And so Pleasance and this deputy start just looking all over for Mike Myers. and Turns out he broke into an elementary school. And this is where they go a little bit into trying to explain Michael Myers... Um, where he wrote Sam Hine on the blackboard. Do you know what that is? It's like some sort of old Halloween pagan ritual or something. It's like where Halloween comes from and that the evil souls are released into the world to gallivant around for a day or something. This is like my understanding of what Sam Hine is. So they're trying to say that like Michael Myers may be one of those demons or he has a demon in him that's released on Halloween and it and it's overtaken him and that's why he's this evil person. And then also there's a picture that I guess Michael Myers drew with Cran where a family and the the sister has a knife through her and it's just left there on the desk. So Lori's at the ho- at the hospital. There's a nurse there, there's an EMT driver and they're like a couple. He's a real randy individual. And then there's an ambulance driver who knows Lori. So he kind of is trying to protect her a little bit. And Lori doesn't really do much except sit in a hospital bed for most of this movie. That's true. And sleep. And uh like so the nurse and the EMT guy like they end up like in like a hot tub, like one of those um wave pools or whatever the hell it is if you're a burn victim or something. So we get to see, like, uh, nudity. So that's another trope that the slasher movies are kicking out. Okay, so wait. We need to back up. I have no memory of this school scene you're talking about. Uh, well, in Wikipedia, it says Jimmy finds the body of Miss Elves before slipping in a pool of her blood. Okay, that's the other thing we got to talk about. Um, oh, and that was... Loomis is informed that Michael broke into the local elementary school earlier. He discovers clues connecting Michael to Samhain and the occult, which might explain his apparent instructability, indestructibility. His colleague Marion Chambers arrives, who was the nurse from the first movie, to escort him back to Smith's Grove on the governor's orders. So they come and tell 
tell Loomis that he's no longer needed to find Michael. You fucked up. You're going home. But on the way with this U.S. Marshal, she tells Loomis the twist in the movie and that. Oh, that's much later Michael, in the movie. Yeah. And that, that Michael, that Laurie Strode is actually Michael's sister who was given up for adoption after their parents died. But it really comes out of nowhere. But now they're trying to give Michael a reason for why he's trying to get Laurie, that she's actually his sister. I must have fallen asleep for this part. Yeah, it's much later in the movie. It's not much later, but it's the reason they realize where Laurie, like, well, well, he's going after Laurie. We need to go to the hospital. That's why everybody. Yeah, that's the back half. That's like the last. You're right. That is pretty late. Yeah. So never mind. I must have just nodded off at that part. So Michael goes to the hospital because he hears on the boombox that Laurie's there. He ends up killing the nurse and the EMT driver. The horny EMT drivers. And then the other EMT guy likes Lori and is trying to protect her. And then they find another nurse, which we saw apparently Michael killed off screen. We never saw. But this is the other part of the movie where it was amazing because he finds this nurse in a pool of her own blood dripping from her onto the ground and he turns around and he slips and just smacks on the ground. It was the funniest fucking thing. I just laughed so hard. And he directs this movie. He uh, cuts it together. It's They see it. It's not scary enough, and it's not gory enough. Halloween had set the standards so high and had moved everything forward so quick that all these other movies, like Hall- or Friday the 13th is out. It's much gorier. It's much scarier. What happens is Carpenter refilms the death scenes and makes them scarier and gorier and so carpenter actually did direct bits and pieces and i am willing to bet you that these moments that stick out to us stick out because they're the moments that carpenter amped up he made himself because that image of him slipping in that blood is gorgeous (laughs) and it's so funny. The method of death. I mean, and he just hits his head so hard. It's so fun. The IV drained her. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Like, he hits his head so hard that there's brain damage. So good. You know, uh, another thing that Carpenter actually reshot scenes for the first movie during this period as well. Really? For the TV version oh. of Halloween. So he shot a scenes with Donald Pleasance being young Michael's psychiatrist. Like that was a scene he shot for the TV version and there was another one that something else with Donald Pleasance. Like looking at his cell after he escaped or something like that. There's a couple things that he was working on during the shooting of Halloween 2. This Carpenter style of filmmaking, like this collaborative style, I love it. Uh, he actually brought in the editor that had edited the Halloween TV version in to look at the cut of this movie and give notes. I just love those little details. What else? So Lori is hiding and scared. How does she find out that Michael's after her? I can't remember. Honestly, the worst part of this movie might be Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, it's just, I mean, she's fine at the end when she gets up, but it's pretty boring with her until she's, when she's in that bed. Yeah, and her whole performance is spot on. Like, I believe that that is a woman that was just terrorized all night by a killer. Oh, and she has these, uh, like, this quick vision that she's remembering her time being adopted and then also visiting her brother Michael at an institution. It just comes out of nowhere. But I think that Carpenter was like, we got to have some reason for this movie to exist. I need to give it something. So they came up with this whole sister thing. Carpenter was pretty adamant that it was bullshit. I think years later he talked about how it was really silly but at the time, he just wanted to come up with some reason for a purpose, for a reason to have a sequel. And I think he 
found this connection. Yeah, I think Carpenter's always been kind of a loose talker and like a history revisionist a little bit to suit his needs. Um, I would say so. But the Wikipedia, the teller of all things, says uh, the plot twist of Laurie being Michael's sister was initially never planned by Carpenter or Hill, but was conceived, according to Carpenter, purely as a function of having decided to become involved in the sequel to the movie where I didn't think there was really much of a story left. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that was yeah, a... He needed something else. You know? And you're right. That was, a, that was a quote from a 2014 interview. So, yeah. It's hard to tell themselves, why are we doing this? <laughs> right. Like, we need something. So it made sense that they came up with a reason, but it just comes out of left field. But, hey, that's where the series goes now. So that's canon. She's a sister. Yeah. So we're going to stick with that. And then and the rest of the movies that have to do with Michael Myers. Quick side note. So we have Halloween. They have eight total movies in this series. And then we have the two Rob Zombie reboots that are just their own thing. And then we have the new movies. The first one, Halloween from 2018. And then Halloween Kills that just came out, which are along the same vein as... What was the movie that just came out that did this? Terminator. Dark yes, Fate, Terminator just where did it's this. It's a direct sequel to the first movie. Where Dark Fate was a direct sequel to Terminator 2. Sequels ignoring sequels. And I've gone on record to say I it's fine. I it guess. is fine. Like, I don't care. But it's stupid to think that your movie is going to be so good that it deserves to be the proper sequel. Because I guarantee you in 10 years, people look back at it and say, eh. It's just as, you know, like the other ones, nobody cares. So then 10 years after that, somebody else is going to go, mine is the official sequel to the first one. I don't know. I just think it's dumb. It does ring true to the argument of we don't make anything new anymore. Yeah. Anyway, so Halloween 2, we're at the conclusion. That's just, let's wrap this up. Loomis figures out that Michael's going after Lori because that it was so confusing. When did... Lori's parents make her. Yeah. So Michael's parents had a teenage daughter mm-hmm. who was, let's say she was 17. Yeah. And then they had Michael who was like nine. Yeah. Right. Something like that. So Something. there was already like a seven year distance or a space between them conceiving those two kids. Apparently Michael's mom, I would say was also pregnant at that time. So there's another space between Michael and his no, no, no. I take that back. I'm sorry. Because Michael's only like 22, right? And Lori's like 17 or 18. So apparently they had another daughter who was just not shown. And then at some point, Michael's parents died for whatever reason. And then the daughter was given up for adoption. And now it's Lori. My other question here is, do they say where Lori's par- where Mike's parents went? No, they just said that they died. And upon their death, uh, she was given up for adoption because yeah. Michael, her brother, was in an institute and her other sister's dead because Michael killed her. So she was just a, a an orphan at that point. And then some parents went to the baby store and were like, we want this one. And then yeah. she became the parent kid of realtors. She became a strode. Yes, strodes. Anyway, so Loomis figures out that he's hunting his sister. How does he know she has a sister? Because the nurse tells him. No, no. How does Michael know he has a sister? Uh, he just knows, apparently. Supernatural. I don't know how. But he just knows that Lori is his sister. This de- look, Let's be clear. This makes no sense to the first movie. There was no connection between Michael and any of those girls in the first movie, aside from the fact that Lori dropped off the key 
to the old Myers house where he used to live because her dad is a realtor. And that's where Michael saw her. And then he followed her and he saw her other two friends. That is the only reason Michael Myers kills those or tries or kills those two girls and tries to kill Lori. That is it. Yeah. So the first movie just retcons this thing where, like, no, actually he was there because he knew that Lori was his sister. He doesn't, but he does now. I'm very excited to use the word retcon a lot more in yeah, this so much. series. <laughs> so Loomis goes to the hospital yep. with the nurse, with a, uh, a another cop who was supposed to take him back to, you know, wherever he's from, but he held a gun to his head. That's another thing. Like, like who's going to stop? Like, you think Loomis is actually going to shoot a police officer. I hate when people hold guns to the head of somebody else, like as a threat, take me somewhere. And, but they're not a villain. Well, you know, he's not going to shoot him. Yeah. Like Loomis is trying to stop a serial killer. So what's he going to do? Become a murderer himself in order to stop his. No, the cop knows he's not going to do anything. That's another trope that I just really hate. Anyway. So they go to the hospital. Uh, the kid who slipped in the blood, he's got like brain damage. Now he's no help. So Lori's on her own. So wait, no, that's the, I love that part. Um, So Lori is hiding in a car outside when Loomis and everybody get in. So they miss each other. And then the brain damage guy gets into the seat of the, into the driver's seat of the car because it's his. And he's just basically like, hey, Lori. And then he falls (laughs) on the horn. That's how hard he Uh, hit his head. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. So he's no use. She goes, oh, yeah. And then when they show up, Loomis and the two other people, she's falling out of the car. Hey, why don't you scream to them? Oh, suddenly she's so distraught. She's lost her voice. And it isn't until the door closes where she's like, help me. I'm like, well, there's a fucking trope I couldn't stand. There it is. And so So this movie's just letting me down every step of the way. Michael's, for whatever reason, (laughs) hanging out outside. Because he heard the car horn, so he came out, I guess. Yeah, but he must have, he didn't go out the front door because he popped up from, like, the far left. It doesn't matter. Oh. (laughs) He was somehow out there. And so Lori comes running into the door, and she's beating on the door. and they, They let her in. There's a fight with the cop. The cop is the first to die. Does the nurse get it? The nurse has to get it. Why am I not remembering if the nurse gets it? She wasn't important. No, he he told her to run and get the cops. She leaves in order okay. to get the police. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the sheriff deputy shoots Michael a couple more times. Michael's dead, obviously, because, I mean, the guy's got shot like 10 times at this point. Yeah, he's a human. He um, has to die. And Loomis is like, no, don't go near him. Why do you keep going near him? And, of course, Michael is not dead. He's supernatural now. He stands up, slices the cop's neck. Uh, the girl has already run away to go get help. Uh, Loomis, I think, finds Lori running around, too. Oh, no, no. They're, yeah, they're together already. Yeah, so they go together. running. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They go running, and they make it into, a, like, a surgery place yep. and turn on all the oxygen in the ether. And that's when Michael comes in. Uh-uh. Something else happens first. Loomis gets knocked down or out by Michael. Lori gets his gun. Yes. And right. shoots Michael in both Twice. eyes. Yes. <laughs> so, so he's, he's blind. Michael's blind. Right. And he's, so he's swinging still... the scalpel around. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And then they turn on the gas to Marco Polo him away from each yep. other. <laughs> right. And all that gas in one room. That sounds combustible. Very flammable, I would say. Yes. This was this is my third favorite part of the movie, actually. Oh, you describe it, then. Loomis is like, Lori, run. So Lori finally runs out of the room. The room is filled with gas. 
so flammable that Loomis sacrifices himself, lights a lighter, and the whole place just... Yes. So that was great. I was like, way to go, Loomis. So you saved the day. You finally did where... This, this was where this this franchise was... The, the sequel was leading, is that Loomis had to... Like, the only way to kill the supernatural creature is not to sacrifice himself. So what a beautiful ending. Like, I actually kind of enjoyed the movie. Um, it wasn't as boring as the first one, but it, I think somehow it made even less sense than the first one. That sounds about perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it wasn't too bad. So, and um, then... And that's but, it. And then Laurie's off to another hospital, right? Uh, unfortunately, no, that's not it. Laurie oh, okay. is down in the hall. The fire's blaring, and she's sighing because it's over. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. And then Michael Myers comes walking out of the room on fire. Yeah, before finally collapsing one more time. And yep. we have the camera slowly sit on his mask as it's burning. And and we, yes, and we know for a fact that Michael Myers and Dr. Loomis are dead forever. End of yep. story. End of Halloween. Well, they were so sure this was the ending that in the next sequel... They don't even, they go in a completely different way. And that's what we'll talk about in the next podcast. That is what we will talk about on the next episode. Now, I, I read somewhere that Loomis comes back. Mm, interesting. You <laughs> is mean, that possible? You mean somehow Loomis, Donald Pleasance, is a staple of all of the Halloween movies, but he died. What? He died in but this. He, he died in grand fashion. I can't wait to unpack these other movies. Um but you know what? I'm more I'm most excited for number three because that if there's any movie that I have never seen but have read and heard about Halloween three season of the witch, it was like shit upon like you wouldn't believe when it came out. But now like a lot of people defend it. So I'm trying to see if that's warranted or not. So I'm excited to see. Yeah, it. I'm very curious to see what comes out of it because I just got nothing. I have a question and then we can wrap up. How much money do you think the Halloween film franchise has made all together? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm going to say like, I don't know, $640 million. That's so... Wait, what did you say, asshole? $640 million? You already looked it up, you dickbag. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I'm spot on. <laughs> dickbag. That's not what I haven't heard. Wow. Um, so, worldwide gross of... 773 million do you know what film franchise that i've never seen a single one of there's three and worldwide they have made 1.5 billion dollars so more than double what the 12 halloween movies have made combined is this a horror franchise it is not it is a comedy franchise that i've never seen one of I've seen The Hangover. Hangover. I've seen The Hangover. Oh. Um, Hang- is it Hangover? The popular film franchise, Night at the Museum. Oh, yeah. You've never seen... Any of them. Um, I'm falling a little behind. <laughs> so today is day 51 of the year. I was going to ask about that. How's that going? And I am at uh, 48. So I need to watch three movies to catch up to wow, okay. watching a movie every day in 2022 on that note i think it's time to say goodbye tune in for the next episode uh where we talk about halloween 3 and halloween 4 uh which should be interesting Mm -hmm. in the meantime 
go through, re-listen to every one of our episodes. Follow us on social media. Review us on your podcast app if it has a review feature. That'll help us get noticed by other people that might like our show. So from all of us here, thanks. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next episode. Bye.